0: Hello everyone, this is Airy in the Air, welcome back to the show, so glad you're here. Today I have a talk with a American paragliding legend, Gavin McClurg. Gavin is from Sun Valley, Idaho, and he is a former National Geographic Adventurer of the Year, which is not a fluke, we talk about that. He really is just such a crazy cowboy, mule, wolverine... He is a bulldog for adventure. Um, in this episode we talk a lot about maturity, progression, we talk a lot about pretty specific paragliding stuff and we talk about in the beginning we talk about some recent flights that both of us have had that are memorable and the whole impact of Rona on um, how easy it is for us to do flying logistics. So. This episode has a lot to do with how we can use paragliding as a tool for transformation in our lives, and it is actually quite applicable to so many other things in our lives. It's not just about paragliding. So if you're not a paraglide pilot, I still think that there's a lot of good stuff here for you. And I think that you can just use paragliding as an analogy for whatever it is that you have in your life. And it might even just be your relationship to your family and your relationship to your partners and your own level of introspection and how honest you are with yourself about what's happening in your life and your mind and your emotions. So that's good stuff. I want to allow you, I want to be available for your support. I really appreciate you guys listening and sharing these podcasts. And if you'd like to support the show, please donate. That's paypal.me slash in the air. I've had a number of people donate in the last few days and it's so incredibly validated and encouraging these kinds of things. I'm getting more and more comfortable sharing this kind of thinking publicly, and uh, I really appreciate your encouragement through donations. That's paypal.me slash in the air. So, without further ado, here's my talk with the host of the CloudBase Mayhem podcast himself, Mr. Gavin McClure. It's uh, it's been a little while since we've talked. I think the last time we talked, the Rona had just landed, uh, and yeah. it, was, it kind of dominated our conversation. And even as we before we record today, we're talking about how difficult it is to hitchhike and all the paragliding. How we've been affected by this
1: crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The aliens have yeah. just landed. The last time we talked, and they're they're uh, they're still around, man. <laughs> yeah, weird seriously. times. Weird times. Getting weirder every day.
0: Yeah, it is. You know, one of my uh, closest flying partners here has had a couple of surgeries this season and so it was like really allergic to exposure to mostly anyone and so it's really been it's been challenging you know and you know we uh we went to Washington and did this big week of paragliding with I saw that. Yeah, you guys with, had a good week up there. Dude, so good and with the Boucher and all those guys and just riding in the back of trucks like all night long. Yeah through the flats of Washington getting home at two o'clock in the morning after flying 200 K a couple days in a row. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's uh, I, I did it. I flew a triangle the other day and it was actually Northern Utah and then up into Idaho, kind of the city rock zone. And um, there's a, there's a site out there called Harrison that I've, I've been working on for quite some time. I mean, you know, it's the hang is used to fly as a killer mountain that you can drive all the way to the top and takes a lot of directions, but it, just keeps proving to be really tricky because you're right on the edge of the snake river Plain, And it, it it's just, it's really easy to bomb out there. And, uh, but we know it works and I've had some nice flights there, but anyway, I was just coming back from Texas. You know, we were down there chasing distance in kind of June and early July. And I was, you know, it was tricky through Utah cause I didn't have a retrieve. I was with my wife and my daughter and she's not going to get in a car and chase for 10 hours with my little one in the backseat. So so anyway, we were camped up on Harrison and it just, this day popped up that was like, God, I've got to figure out how to utilize this day, but do it by myself. And I drove down, got up really early that morning and drove down and flew from Ingham Peak, which Bill Belcourt just did a couple of days ago. But until I'd done it, I don't think anybody had. We don't know of anybody that has, it's pretty remote down there, it's just dirt roads and, you know, there's nothing. I mean, all day, I didn't see a plane. I didn't see a car and uh flew this, ended up flying this really nice triangle. And, but it was real interesting because the truck was parked up in the pass. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, if I land 20 K from the truck, line of sight, you know, that'll be a walk all night and I can get there. That's that's fine. But I was, I bombed out the first time. So I flew, bombed, hiked, it was 105 degrees on the ground, you know, so, it's kind of like a little exalpsy adventure. And so by the time I relaunched, I was pretty low on water. And I was like, man, I don't – I'm not sure if I land too far from the truck, I'm going to make it – I'm going to survive this. And so it was really cool. It was a really neat triangle because – <laughs> Only so you would only think that's cool. get Back to the truck. <laughs> like I, I wasn't going to hitch, you know, and it was – I mean, it was just – such a good day and you know, went way over where you're supposed to go. Hi. And uh, you know, it was, it was a good day, but it was just like, and then a bunch of Cirrus came in and I was way far away. Oh man. But it just, yeah, it's making things really interesting right now. Cause we don't, I, I know that, you know, the Europeans and stuff that Listen to this. They just don't, they can't imagine it. You know, we just don't have, I mean, I literally, you know, there are no planes flying right now or a lot less. So that's not unusual, but I didn't see a car all day. There's no towns. There's no yeah. people. Yeah, you know, I saw some antelope. I saw some elk. You know, but, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's been it, so. It was one of the more rewarding triangles I've ever flown. because wow. I mean, I landed like five feet from the truck at the end
0: of the day. Like, yeah, love it, that. Yeah, you know, that's a shown. great story. Yeah, and it's and what it's you're, you're saying about, about the about Europeans it. is so true. It's like the Western United States is a place to fly that is. It's like, it is just so deep here. You can just go so deep so easily. It's not like the Alps, you know, the Alps are like, you know, when the first time I went flying at the Alps, I was thinking, oh, the mountains are so big and you speck out and you're like, oh my God, there's roads everywhere.
1: Yeah. And like you said, when you speck out, you might be over the top of the peaks, you know, a really (laughs) good day there is like 12,000 feet. I mean, you get these, you get these unusual days where they top land Mont Blanc and stuff, but you know, this last couple of weeks, it's mostly, I'm mostly fighting to stay below 18,000. You know I mean? We're getting, our spec is a whole different world and Seriously. which is aesthetically awesome. And that's why we do it. But you know, I mean, like where you usually fly Pine Mountain. I mean, I always used to think that Sun Valley and where I fly my home site is really deep and, you know, compared to a place like Pine, it's just, I mean, it's deep but you're not going to, you're, I've never walked all night. You know, I've never spent a night out out there. There's hunters, you know, there's campers, there's dirt roads. Um, You can always just walk down whatever drainage you're in. And it's, it's not that extreme. I mean, it's, it's not in the Alps, you land at a bus station or a train station, or you're an idiot. Why wouldn't you? Because they're everywhere, you know? So getting back there is just so easy. It's so, it's a dream. It's part of the great part of the adventure. It's so cool. But you know, here it's like, man, your adventure's a long ways from over. But I mean, the first time I flew Pine with Henzi, you know, you get going there, and you're like, Jesus! I mean, there is nothing out there. I mean, <laughs> the mouth here, there's nothing out there. I mean, there's so nothing. it's it's uh it's awesome. It's great, it but it's you're awesome. Just like you're just kind of like pucker factor. Oh, road, pucker factor for like two hours. Road. I, I yeah. mean, and there's nobody on the roads. So I don't even know how much that helps. Yeah. yeah, So this, this,
0: yeah, I know you dig it. And I try to harness some McClurg in me uh, this season. I've had two of the deepest flights of my whole life. Uh, One, we launched from Tumwater and we flew out to Stewart and then we turned around and we went out towards mission Ridge, like the ski resort. And there was just this one part of the flight where it was me, Evan Boucher and Brian Fletcher. And we're, pushing over the 97 and it's just, it's not even like that far as the crow flies from civilization. It's just that the terrain got really shallow and we were like on the top of the terrain and it just got shallow. And as we glided, we just got low. And as you just kind of, time goes on you just realize you're like we are in a position where it's either a tree landing or a climb out like those are literally the two <laughs> options <laughs> it's a tree landing or, and the trees are all burnt and dead and pokey and disgusting and the second one yeah, was right. the second one I had this great flight from Pine Mountain to John Day and it was really uh, super lonely all day <laughs> flying by myself and just like really lonely I had people chasing me luckily Uh, Sarah and Colin were chasing me and but there's just this there's this there's this phenomenon in paragliding that you know so well that is like you can be not that far like uh, as the crow flies it's not that far to cross a mountain range but to drive from one side of it to the other side is huge right and so it's like um, there was this there was this move and it was late in the afternoon and i had been flying and I had already, and and this is a segue. I'd love to talk to you about nutrition and flying and how to keep the whole show on the road here. Um, But I found myself pretty low at about 4.30 in the afternoon. It was really hot. I had, it was like, it was like a hundred degrees on the, ground that day and I had just like worn two puffies and so I was just <laughs> hot and muggy all day like to the point that I was like nauseous I'm like thermally and I'm just like Ugh. so finally I spec out and um, you know cool down air conditioning but late in the afternoon I kind of got low and I was really like at that point I was like running out of my like loneliness energy i was just like ah, i could like i could really like my friends are out of radio I reception I could, I could really use my friends right now right, right. So, and so it just kind of got low and i was just at some point you just run into the place of like okay the only way out is through like you pretty much gotta hang in here and like cross this mountain range and you know it was like almost 6 p.m and i found myself at fifteen thousand feet and i was like whoa like okay I'm I'm I have it on glide like easy You're right and so oh, that's a good feeling uh, fuck, no kidding it, which is funny because uh, you know at the end of my flight there I'm like finally properly dressed and I stay above 13,000 feet for like 19 or for like 90 minutes as I'm yeah, just like flying right. convergence down this mountain range yeah that's. and amazing. I had more flying to do like I could easily just stayed on the convergence and kept going but I was just so out of gas right and it was like 7 p.m. I flew uh my longest flight, seven hours, 40 minutes. And and so I'd love to hear from you. Like the nutrition thing is super interesting to me. And it's also like, it almost, we've been trying to team fly this year a lot. And it's like, proves to be so incredibly difficult. And especially as we realize that our nutrition and our blood sugar and our uh, fatigue, whether it's socially, emotionally, or physically, all just like, we're all bouncing around on these different things. Mm. Yeah,
1: you, you touched on a few things that I uh, have been thinking a lot about lately. I learned quite a bit from Donizete. You know, I flew with Don. It was Donizete and Cody and I were kind of the team. There was other pilots down there, but we, our team was the three of us. And, of course, you know, Donizete's two world records, and he's been part of that crew that's done, It kind of invented, really, in my opinion, team flying down in the Sertao in the Brazil that started kind of in 2000 well 2007 is when rafael broke it and that those guys but um the, the first one when they broke will gads record and and then they've been you know harnessing that team flying and adapting and getting better at it and so i can just pass along what don isette taught me and that what you know Cody and i learned from him Cause, I've had the same trouble. We, we talk about team flying here every time we go. Let's stay together. Let's stay together. <laughs> let's stay together. And it never it never works out. It never so, does. A, um, it is harder to do in the mountains because just inevitably somebody's going to get a ripper and then it's just hard. You can't hang around at cloud base where we fly normally. I mean, in, a, in that very rare triangle day, yeah, maybe okay. But most of the time you're getting cloud base and it's not real comfortable just hanging out. And yeah. So, you keep going. And so that's a, I mean, it's much easier to stay together in the flatlands. You guys probably did better at it when you're flying Chelan is my guess, but, um, you know, b massive amount of discipline. You know, you have to have a very verbal, you know, you got to have a plan. That's not that day going up the launch. Hey, let's team fly. That's not going to do it. You've got to, sit down and talk about it and talk about all the different, well, what happens if, well, what happens if, and how does this work? Because really, you know, inevitably someone's climbing better or has a little bit better better piece of it. And, you know, ideally that person's showing the people below where the good climb is, but if they get to the top, what if they start making big circles and that's screwing the people up below? Oh, he's telling me to go over here. Oh, no, he's not. He's just waiting for us. So, you know, ideally when you leave a climb and, you know, in, in, the, in a perfect world, you all just fan out and you don't fan out very big, you know, you fan out 20, 30 max, like 40 meters. So you're all, you know, if some, if you're a hundred meters and that person's got a better chunk of air, it's a lot more committing for the other people to come over. So, you know, ideally you're at the same level and you're at the same pace, um, but that's in an ideal world. You know, what we were experiencing in Texas is, you know, often whoever was up at the top would lead out, show the pilots behind them where the good, you know, maybe where the good line is, but you got to slow down as that person. Or the opposite, whoever's low, let's say they just didn't get a chunk of it for whatever reason, and they decide, okay, I'm losing these guys, I got to go, you know, then they're, they're the rabbit. Um, and these t- top guys got to support that person at some point maybe that person's out of the game and you know you can't you can't just everybody flail their fight their flight to help out the, the lowest person but anyway what you see what i'm saying is there's and then to your point about nutrition and energy and all that it's just inevitable that you're not going to have the same person leading all day you know there there are times in the day where you've got it you're on and you just naturally become the later leader Um, I'm forgetting here that, you know, you can, if you work with the same team a lot all over and over and over and over again, the radio becomes less and less important. But until that time you need to use the radios Um, and not to chit chat. That drives me batshit. I I, uh, only say what's required, especially if somebody's low, if it's windy, if they're dealing in Lee, the last thing you want is somebody barking in your ear. And so You know, we want to be in the zone as much as we possibly can. And that's going to rip you out of the zone. Any kind of communication on on radio is going to rip you out. So, but it's super handy in terms of, you know, if the leader gets the top goes and they've got an idea that that doesn't make sense to the other guys, you have to verbalize that. Hey, I think we should switch to this cloud sheet uh, street because, you know, the forecast was saying there was more Southeast, we got to get over here, whatever, whatever it is. And so uh, the radios can be really valuable. And I get frustrated flying with a lot of people that don't have their batteries charged or don't have a good mic or don't have a good calm. And we've all been there, but you know, this, again, this is part of being professional. This is part of good distance is having, you know, like I'm not going to go fly with somebody without an in reach today. I'm just not going to do it. That's a liability. I I don't, I don't want to be in that position. I don't want them to be in that position. So, you know, kind of having all these things set, but back to your point about, you know, someone's in the groove and that someone had kind of, it just naturally happens. It just changes. Like Don is that really presses hard all the time and he's constantly leaving out, but sometimes it's okay to be like, Hey dude, you got to rein it in. This is going to be a slow section up here. We can't, I don't want to tack this low. Let's slow down. And, you know, and uh you know, if you're working well as a team, that works pretty well, but there are definitely times where you just, feel really good you feel, and that's where you get on the radio guys i'm feeling really good right now follow me um i've got a good idea here and if it doesn't work out then the, the really important thing is you know there's never any blame in this sport and it's just like hey we tried you know and, yep. and sometimes it can work out and we all bomb out and so um and then the other thing is hydration and yeah, I, I learned this from nick Reese. he gave a talk here at the pwc in 2012 and i had just never thought about it like that i mean i think Any of us that are, you know, reasonably athletic and reasonably fit um, can fly five, maybe six hours without worrying about it too much. But, um, you know, beyond that, if you've gone to five or six hours and now you're starting to think about it, it's too late, you know, because we are so ramped up on adrenaline and uh, just the craziness of what we're doing, that we feel a lot better than we actually are. Yeah. Uh, you know, a farmer here calls it like the alien world. You know, when you land after a big flight, you're suddenly just like, whoa. God, <laughs> what did I just do? I feel weird, you know? Yeah. The drugs and, wear off. Yeah, all that stuff's gone. Well, that stuff was there 10 minutes ago before you landed, you know? And so um, my... You know my go-to and I'm sorry for everybody that's listening to me I, I know you've heard this over and over again, but you know I always take a drink at the top of every thermal and just make sure I'm hydrated. I start really worrying if I'm not peeing pretty regularly. I start thinking like what well, something's wrong I'm not I'm not hydrated enough so drink at the top of every thermal and eat at least every hour um, but again, it comes back to you know, the night before or the days before. I mean, if you know a good day is coming up, you, you kind of, you know, the night before is not the night you want to go party and stay up late and, and show up or eat a bunch I, of dessert. Yeah. Any of that stuff, you know, um, be, because of my Alps stuff, I've kind of gotten a lot more into like a fat adaptive diet. So I haven't, you know, I'm not like ketogenic, I'm not flying in ketosis and stuff, except by mistake sometimes, but (laughs) in the the race, but you know, for the most part, you can can also get away with some a lot if you've trained your body a little bit to be more fat adaptive, and Mm -hmm. then you don't need quite as much, but you still, you know, for me, um, you know, some good easy things. I, you know, there are pilots that can do all kinds of crazy stuff with their hands. I'm not one of them. So, um, you know, I like to have stuff that I can pretty easily get to and, you know, a good shot of protein, uh, a good shot of fat. Uh, I I'm, I'm big on this product called Vespa. Uh, that's kind of a, like a catalyst for your body to kick into mm. fat adaption. So mm, I'll have one of those before I fly and then one kind of four or five hours in. And I find that that helps really with my mind. So it, all I'm saying is, you know, you have to kind of find your groove and, you know, for some people that might be more carbs than others, you know, there are definitely times where I might need a goo, you know, just straight sugar, but I don't, I try to stay away from that. It just doesn't work for yeah, me, me personally too. as well. I, I, I rather have some protein and some fat, but I think, you know, the lesson here is that if you're really starting to bonk, you're way behind the eight yeah, ball and, and that's dangerous where we are in our sport. I don't think that's a good idea. So, you know, I think it's one of these that, you know, you want to eat a really good dinner the night before a really good breakfast and yeah. really be hydrated and uh, maybe take it easy on the coffee that morning or put a bunch of butter in it or something yeah. and, uh, and then, you know, and stick with it as you go along, which is, you know, in the air that we fly in, it's kind of tricky. It, I find it's kind of hard, you know, it, it's, it's pretty tough and six meter up to grab a bite to eat. But, exactly. Um, but it's, it's really important. And you'll, I think you'll find that you start stretching whatever wherever you are. You're like, God, I keep bombing out at three hours, six hours, whatever it is. Um, I think you'll find that that'll stretch it quite a bit more because again, we're living on adrenaline and that's, that's, uh, you're going to tap, you're going to use that up.
0: Yeah, totally. So there's a couple of things. Um, I totally agree and I'm glad to hear your insights and Nick Grease is a good person to listen to because I don't know anyone who loves to eat as much as Nick Grease. (laughs) Dude, (laughs) I lost to eat, man. (laughs) <laughs> right uh, and you know it's it, it's crazy how much it varies by the day Some day, like I just went on this week-long paragliding trip right some days I would launch and honestly at the top of the first climb I would drink a liter of water yeah. just thirsty as fuck right off a of launch you know yeah. other yeah. days I launch and I'm just like the moment that I launch and I like get settled into my harness I feel the hunger There was no doubt there 10 minutes ago when I was on the ground, sure. but now I feel it. And so sure. it's like, I'm starting to eat. And some days it's just like, n- I don't want anything. And those are the days that like, I feel fine and I feel like level headed and I feel calm, but it falls off. And yeah. so sometimes, you know, like I, I definitely know your mantra of like drink at the top of every climb and eat every hour. And that's, I, I try to do that. And so, and of course, as I, progress and I just get more experience at dealing with this shit it just is more of a routine and it's more normal right and so I know where my stuff is stashed in my harness and I'm just more like I just I'm more with it and yeah. there's also an element that this is true with any sport that I've ever learned is there is an adrenal response that you literally become more and more tolerant of and the adrenal response that I have when I'm like about to launch versus let's say Kriegel, right? Nick Grease told me that everybody makes jokes that Kriegel takes beta blockers because he's just so calm and he's so, he's like not, he's not methodical. Yeah. His, his adrenal response is so less triggered than most of us. Right. So literally his his brain chemistry is much more stable in this place. And that comes with experience, right? It's also somewhat a personality trait of like how likely you are to be excitable, right? But there's also just this experience thing. You know, when I started highlining, it was like I could walk across a 70-foot highline twice before I was just so buzzed that it's just like... and then last year in July, we do the world record. We do a two kilometer long high line and it takes me two hours to walk across the thing. You know, so it's like this long-
1: do you do With Mike Madsen on that one?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he helped film- He was a... our retrieve driver the last few days in Nevada. What a cool oh, dude. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, you know, it's a tolerance thing that you got to build up to. And it is something, I, I've noticed a frustration in up and coming pilots that they're like, you know, that they bomb out at three hours and they blame everything else, you know, it's like whether mm. the glider doesn't have enough glide, which I've been talking about a lot on the, on the yeah. YouTube channel, or whether it's their nutrition or you guys ditched me or whatever it is. And in reality, it's just like, dude, this is just like where you are, man. Like yeah. you have to, like the chance that you're just going to step up and fly eight hours and be totally present and totally sound mentally that whole time is zero. It's zero. Yeah, Get real with yourself. Like- you just got to, you just it's gotta, ridiculous. it's like, you're going to have a, you're going to bomb out a million times when everyone else is soaring. And then you're going to bomb out a million times while everyone else is thermaling. And then you're going to bomb out in an hour and two hours. It's just like, it's a progression. And, and then you're still going to bomb out. I bomb <laughs> yeah, out exactly. Outside. And then you're going to be Gavin in the X-Alps and you're going to bomb out. You're, gonna you're say, bomb oh. out. It's just, it happens to, it happens to everybody. <laughs> I mean, the gliders land. I, I, it's so hard to, <laughs> to, to get that through people's heads, but the gliders land, like you take it up a hill and you go down sometimes the, the air takes you back up but you always <laughs> land man it's right. like yeah, it's yeah, crazy yeah. how averse we are to just reality in this sport you know yeah i mean it, and
1: i i think it's um to, to your point too i you know it i think for all of us it takes different amount of times to warm up no matter what you know Absolutely. i did that podcast with alex roby and i was like you know do you ever just show up and you just don't feel it and because uh, i'm sure i do and he was like, "No, I think you're flying on the wrong days." Like, so he's he's really famous for sending huge triangles. He almost you know he regularly wins X contests every year, but he flies like perfect days. Yeah. And a perfect day in the Alps, uh, you know, when you get going, you fly 60k really without turning. You know, you're following these perfect southeast very steep faces that are just kind of bubbling up and the air is perfect. I mean, how often do we get that out here? Never. I I've mean, never flown that. We <laughs> step into a freaking inferno and we're and down the same way. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, we don't have any time to like warm up yeah. like that. And no,
0: I launched from Shalane Butte the other day, directly into a six meter a second climb directly, yeah. like 30 I mean, feet off of launch. Shalane
1: Butte, how many people have pounded there in a dust devil right on the launch? You know I mean? You've got to be on it right before. Before you clip in there, I mean, your, your whole shit can go 200 feet in the air without being in it. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, so, I don't mean my point here, but it's, it's you know, you got to have all that stuff lined up. And I still, I mean, there are days I just don't feel it. And, uh, or a lot of times I'm in the air, like Nevada is like this. I, we just had some really good days down in Nevada and Nevada is on. I mean, it it is big, big, big air and you know so the first hour and a half i'm just terrified jesus holy shit jesus this air is strong you know and then you kind of settle in and then you remember all the little mantras and you remember to breathe and you remember like hey i fly a paraglider i'm trying to i'm trying to fly this thing in turbulent air that i can't see that's what i do and so then you're like, you know, suddenly you have that little nice switch where like, this is what I came here for. I came mm-hmm. here for the adventure. I came here like, okay, I got yes. it. Like, bring it. This is awesome. And and that's a nicer place to be in the head. Yes. Then than like, fuck.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what fascinates me about what you say there is there's there's some portal there. There's some transition period, there's some warm-up, there's some um initiation into the flow state where you're you're somehow like you're the change between your harness being like a death trap and a sailboat to the sky is like at some point gavin clicks and he's like he's like okay all right i feel good it's not as you know it's not too terrible and and you know it's crazy because you know i launched and i was like i i i am on a path of being more observant of myself and what happens inside of my head and it's like i was like oh god someone's in the river oh wait no that's a boat and then i was like oh god a hang glider has crashed on the hill i was like oh no that's a small shed and i was like i was just like needed to soothe myself i was like hey buddy it's okay dude it's okay get settled in here get settled in you haven't even left the mountain yet it's okay nobody's dying in the river
1: and a lot of that's currency. I don't I mean, I, I think for all of us, you know, that that you no, know, if I if I'm down in Nevada flying pretty regularly, by day five, that stuff day one that was freaking me out is, is nothing, right? I mean, yeah. so currency is a lot of it. And I, I didn't I I didn't see your your video about, you know, the B and C thing. I mean, I think this is a constant frustration for pilots that have been in the game for a long time. It both ends you know, it's totally reasonable if you, you know, you go to VA and you're on a B and it's frustrating because you got all these guys and girls that are on, you know, really narrow hot ships and, and they just pull away. Right. And, but, um, and again, I know I spout about this stuff, but you know, it's, to me, we've got a paddling background together. and Will Gad talked about this all the time. You know, what you learn there is, you know you really shouldn't paddle class 4 until you're hitting like every eddy class 3 you know like you kind of got it down and then you you know and then you gently push into that mm-hmm. and you know to me it's like if you're if you're bummed out cuz you're landing after 3 hours on your b then you're still a shitty pilot <laughs> you know and you you, you a c isn't going to allow you to fly more than 3 hours you're still mm-hmm, going to so. fly only 3 hours on the c it's just going to be a little bit easier, but you got to make it hard and on yourself. Dangerous. That's the whole point and more dangerous. So, you know, it's like when you start flying seven, look at Bernie Pessel. That dude does 300K FAI triangles in Europe over and over and over and over again on a mantra. I mean, not a mantra, on a, uh, what's the Nova? Mentor. On a mentor. Yeah, mm-hmm. me right? and B. So, until you can go hang with that dude. On an ENB, then stay on an ENB. Why? What's the point? It's just, you know, like play that game, be the best at that game compared to everybody else. And then I don't know what you've said in your videos, but I I just, you know, um, and we've all broken this rule, and I did as well. And my friends are, hey, you're moving a little bit too fast. But the difference is, you know, um, I did have six years and way over a thousand hours, and I'd done a ton of SIV before I got on a two liner. And so, And now I'm seeing it happen in like a year with people because they go to comps and they can't keep up and they, they get frustrated, which is totally reasonable. But again, I, I, I'm not, I'm not advocating and I'm not preaching, but I just think, you know, like kick ass at the level you're on. If you're like, well, I, you know, the, Gavin, the book's I... just almost getting done and it's it, what I hear from all the people who are better than me and my mentors like Russ Ogden, that kind of thing. It seems like, you know, the really good way to think about it is when you really feel like your wing is holding you back, if you really feel like, God, I really, really want the extra challenge and I've got all these moves and I really want it, then you're ready. That sounds cool, but not not because your buddies are leaving you, not yep. because you're landing mm-hmm. after three hours. Yep. You know, any good pilot on a B or an A can stay in the air for 10 hours on a good day. You yep. know, so it, it just, you're going to f- fly less ground, most likely, than somebody yep. on a
0: CCC glider. But, um, yeah, I... Well, I, I think what you're talking about here, like, we're, we have, like, an, like, individual decisions and motivations as to why they're doing what they're doing. In the aggregate, essentially represents the culture. Right? Mm-hmm. So, the motivations of why people are changing gliders in the aggregate, that's the culture of paragliding. That is, why are we collectively doing this? And as you've stated, the self comparison of being left by the CCC gliders on an ENB. Like from an objective standpoint, from a rational standpoint, that, seemed, that sounds crazy, right? To compare yourself as a beginner pilot on a B to getting ditched by Patty on her, on her CCC glider. Of course, Patty's going to kick your ass all day, every day. She could kick your ass on an A and you could be on her glider, right? Well, that's what's important. She would kick your ass on the same
1: glider, you know, yeah. and that's what's important. It's, yeah. you know, and the glider doesn't make you a better pilot. And that, these are not my sayings. And I think Jeff Shapiro, I mean, the glider doesn't make you better. You no. have to get better.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because uh, you know my it's you and I are very different. I feel like uh, we're different and very similar, but you are such a sportsman. You are such a sportsman, dude. And you're like, like uh, National Geographic giving you Adventure of the Year is not a fucking fluke. There, it's like you are such a sportsman and such a diehard adventurer. And so, performance is uh, a really salient it's a salient thread it's a very relevant thread for you and i think that a lot of what has happened at the cloud-based mayhem podcast is people are looking to improve through insight okay and there have been guests on the podcast and there have been conversations that you've had particularly with jeff shapiro as you mentioned um that refer less to the performance of the glider or even performance of the pilot and refer more to what we actually are getting out of this thing emotionally. Because one of the points that Shapiro has rang the bell on over and over is that we are emotional players in an emotional game. We are seeking an emotional response. The response of fun is an emotion. The response Mm -hmm. of flow state, like flow state is an emotive place to be. And I feel like, the thread that I'm kind of tugging on lately with these YouTube videos is if paragliding is a tool for transformation, then how can people bring that to their lives Mm -hmm. and not use it as a tool for self-validation because transformation is self-validating, but to seek the self-validation before the transformation is the wrong way of going about it. And It's almost like, uh, you know, I was talking with Kyle O'Glee. He has a YouTube channel. He's a paramotor pilot, and he's a pharmacist. And so his analogy for paragliding is that it's good medicine. Hmm. It's good medicine. This is drug. And the drug analogy is incredibly relevant because sure. of the chemical response that we receive from it. But sure. from the standpoint Uh, you know, that's like a recreational drug standpoint, which it's a hell of a recreational drug. I wouldn't, I've done lots of them. This one's particularly powerful and awesome. But from a pharmacological standpoint, from a healing standpoint, if something is going to be a good medicine, then how do we encourage its users to bring their placebo, right? Mm -hmm. Like pharmacists know placebo is more than 30% of a drug's effect sure just 30% that that's a big chunk of effect
1: sure
0: so how do we get people to bring their placebo how do we get them to to revere their paragliding equipment or their practice as a paraglider as something more than just trying to measure their cock or just inflate their ego or just get a thrill or just escape or you know there's so many different reasons why we do this and honestly i've used paragliding for each one of these for sure. every single one a million times mm-hmm. and so it's like how do i show up to launch with my most reverent self as often as possible like how is how can paragliding be a practice for my maturation how can mm-hmm. i grow up through paragliding because there is it has become abundantly clear to me that you can also devolve using a paraglider you can shrink you can hide from yourself you can hide from what's real you can escape from reality you can escape from your relationships you can devolve as a person and as, and as a man through paragliding but you can also evolve
1: yeah, and so i mean
0: i feel like we're in a position right now you've been in a powerful position for a number of years now to literally push the culture of paragliding in a certain direction And this is something that the associations don't live in. Yushpa would love to be able to modify culture, but they are wholly incapable of doing that. They can only do admin things. They can only do insurance things. It's only, I don't know, it's more mechanical. It's more... Sure. I mean, the culture is changed by people involved.
1: You know, at The
0: conversations that we have. It's literally The the conversations that we have. Sure yeah sure I mean yeah
1: we've all probably had funny talks going up to launch and stuff one of my one of the recent ones I was at a world cup somewhere I can't remember and uh, I was being relayed a story about this guy who you know had quite a bit of wealth and great family and great wife and kids and you know kind of like succeeded you know and uh, got into paragliding and lost all of it (laughs) So I don't know if he devolved or evolved in some, you know, probably some ways he evolved in some ways he devolved, but I mean, he lost it all. He lost his business. He lost his wife, he lost his family. Um, So, I mean, I think to go back to the pharmacological side of it, you know, uh, we've all got to be a little wary of our addictions. Mm -hmm. And I, as you have, have played around in this, you know, this, uh, extreme, whatever you want to call it, realm, you know, the high lining and the kayaking or the climbing and all these things that we really treasure. Um, and they, they have a dark side obviously, and they have a, an addictive side that you've got to really balance just like if you were addicted to, you know, heroin. Uh, it, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it, definitely had it's so powerful that you've got to be wary of you know the good sides and the bad sides i mean i had i really pre your last video where you were talking about you know don't let paragliding fucking kill you um you know i when i went through i went through a relationship thing at one point and had like one uh sit down with a therapist i thought yeah this is going to be i I, my point was i really appreciated your honesty in that, that you know when we're young uh, you know, we're, we're, we were often prone to being very selfish and we're trying to make our way in the world. And a lot of that making our way in the world is showing off. And, and I think that there's, I don't know that that's necessarily negative at that stage in our lives. It's just, you know, it's what we're doing and it's, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're a lot more bomb proof (laughs) then, and you can get away with more. And, you know, we need these people pushing it, you know, the stuff that the Red Bull athletes have been doing the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's amazing, right? Yeah. And just to,
0: just to interject one thing here, I, I think it's important that we, I think you're right, that there's not, it's not wholly negative to show off, but there is, you don't want to demonize levels of development because like even a child is like egocentric and self-centered and learns to manipulate people. And you don't want to like demonize that, like, toxic masculinity because the little boy is no it's it's a level of development and we if we can see different levels of development in paragliding and how they manifest in our behavior our attitudes the way we communicate with each other the things that we're getting out of paragliding then we can actually kind of start drawing out the steps in which we can grow up as paragliders from like Em, like emotional P1 to emotional P5, and like, you know, a spirit, you know, like how, at what point do you like actually develop some kind of connection with nature? What, at what point do you kind of uh, like, does it humble you in a really actually profound way that it, it's not just beating you down? It's not just like a crash humbles you, but like actually like being a part of nature humbles you or like sure. seeing sure. it in a way humbles you. And so, yeah, I don't want to demonize like, I, you don't want to demonize ego because you have it like you don't why would you you want to demonize that you just want to see it man you just want to see
1: it yeah you want to be aware of it and i mean i think you know to your point that there's you know some people they're going to get into it when they're early on for the validation Mm -hmm. and for all the wrong reasons and hopefully they evolve and get through that and don't kill themselves Mm -hmm. and unfortunately what's gnarly about this sport is a lot don't and uh you know you, you we see it, we're but we're not gonna you know i'm we can talk about it, which is what we should be doing, and we can you know work on it with the culture, but I don't think the numbers are gonna change, you know, I think we're gonna keep seeing it and yeah, uh, just because you know it's it's just it's just humanity, it's just who we I agree. are i mean I agree. you know. And I agree. My,
0: my intention here is not to. And I'm, I think your intention's bitching. It's awesome.
1: And I spout about it and word up, dude. I mean, it was, I, it was, it was powerful. It was funny. It was great. It was dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think, I think it, it needs to be said cause we all see it a lot. Mm-hmm. I was that dude, you know? And yeah, so, uh, you know, I grew up ski racing and uh, you know, and I, you know, my parents talked about, you know, that I was just, like they had to take me to the hill when I was six years old. So obviously that's pretty early on to be just like crazy about some sport. I've always been like that. I just (laughs) got to go from one sport to the next where I'm just like batshit about whatever I'm doing. And I, and I really get into it. And luckily with, with, you know, and most of them I get to a certain point, like in kayaking where I'm like, okay, how big does the waterfall have to get here for me to get turned on? Like this is Uh obviously I'm going to kill myself doing this. This is ridiculous. And so you know, where, where paragliding has held me for so much longer because I just feel like such a neophyte still. I feel like, good God, there's a lot to learn here. And, um, but you know, you do, you, you sweat, you, you go from, I, I have certainly found where I was a few years ago is a lot different than now. And I don't know if it's risk tolerance or, you know, or fear or what it is, but, um, I am way more willing to just like, Hey, okay. I'm going to take it easy today. Um, Yeah, Is
0: that your child? I don't know,
1: man. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I competed in the, so, you know, Maddie was pregnant, like real pregnant with the 2017 race. So I mean, like she could have gone into labor during that race. And then, you know, in the last one, you know, I had a little two-year-old, she turned two right after the race. And, uh, you know, the X-Alps requires you to do some pretty weird shit. And so, (laughs) Um, and I'm going back. To put that,
0: to Put it. To put it mildly.
1: Yeah, and I'm and I'm going back. So um, I don't know, but I'm. I certainly have. You know, Hansi used to always fly with his son. Now he has two, but his son's picture when he was doing the x Alps just as a reminder. You know, and I don't do that, but they're certainly certainly thinking about them a lot. And so mm-hmm. I have taken us way off course here, dude. Sorry, but uh, you know, I have you. It's definitely like in. Course. It's definitely. <laughs> It's definitely in my mind. I, I don't know that it changes my risk tolerance or what I'm willing to do, but you know circle back a little bit on what you said about Kriegel. I think, you know, he's got kids. And I think his calmness is partly who he is, but it's also that he's relentless he's Michael Jordan. He's Kelly Slater. He's Dwayne. He, I'm mean, sorry. He's Kobe Bryant. And he's, he's one of these people who just is relentless about his training and his approach and his process goals. And um, I, I just think that if, if it's, you know, he landed in tears in the 2013 race kind of near his home. Cause he was, he flew in stuff that was beyond him. You can imagine it. I don't even know what that is. I mean, the rest of us would have just died. And uh, and he got really, he was that freaked out that he was in tears. So, I mean, he's not superhuman. He's just one of us. But um, he, I think he really has figured out. I mean, he's the guy in that race that all of us are least worried about. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's one guy that's probably not going to get hurt, and that's Greagle. Yep,
0: It's a crazy connection there between the skill and the safety and i think that it is it is important but it's also can be quite misleading right because sometimes i think that my acrobatics training my thousands of stalls will somehow protect me when it matters and i think that it's It's certainly not gonna hurt it's certainly not gonna hurt but the idea that it will protect me might hurt. Mm, that's a good point. So it's hard, it's hard to weigh it out, you know? It's like, uh Kriegel's so good he couldn't get hurt. But Kriegel does not think that. He does not think that. No, definitely not. And no, so, I
1: mean, I'm just saying, you know, like when you put everybody up on the platter of the ex-Alps, and you're like, sure. yeah, I mean, he's probably got the best chance for <laughs> anyone to
0: get through here.
1: Yeah, it's he interesting. And all this nasty stuff, you know? And I mean, it's does, just does, a does child work. of the Alps. Yes, that too. Like just big the and strong, else. and you know, yeah. and there, there's something to be said for you know resilience. And I'm not just talking about mental resilience, but physical resilience and all the stuff that goes into it. Just being yeah. big and strong and flexible. I mean, you can you can pound and, get, and walk away from it better than other people can. And so and that's another thing that you start thinking about. I remember walking with Bill Belcourt when when Trey got pretty hurt here a few years back. I was walking with Phil, and and I was like, "Hey, man, I, I can't. Maybe he was flying you Zeno, and you know, he'd always flown hot ships forever, two to a couple of decades." And uh, and he's like, "Yeah, I just, you know, it, it's two things. One, I'm not getting the hours, so I don't have the currency that I used to have, and B, I'm older. You know, I still oh, yeah. th- think I'm a badass, and he is a badass and strong as hell. But you know, he's just like, I know I'm not going to bounce like I used to, and so uh, yeah, that's." That's part of it as well is just being honest with, you know what I liked about your, I'm jumping around here, but what I really liked about your opener from the, the, the YouTube video you did when you were witness to this accident that could have been a lot worse is like, I had that um, when I was on the Sierra trip. So for those of you who hadn't seen it, he, uh, are you, were, you were witness to this accident the other day at Pine and she was really embarrassed the pilot was really embarrassed and was kind of like oh you know kind of like trying to play it off a little yeah. bit and you called her out on it and which was great and because I, I did that I, on the Sierra trip in 2012 you know so it was my first big bivy I'd done a little bivy in beer and I, I'm joined I get invited by Nick Grease who's like a god to me and Antoine Laurence and Eric Reed, and Oriol Fernandez who was an ex helps pilot I mean I'm way outgunned here you know I'm flying the Arctic and and uh, we do this killer bivvy from Waltz. You know, f- Brad Sander breaks his hip the first day. I mean, oh, it, was, yeah. it was crazy,
0: right? This is 500
1: miles of nowhere, isn't it? No, this is the Sierra Safari. So 500 was like three oh, years yeah, after great. that. And uh, and so we start at Waltz. The first day, he tries, you know, Brad tries to top land, ends up in an ambulance. And then so we start from Waltz again the next day and start moving north. Anyway, so like they... 17, it took us 18 days to get to the, uh, the Oregon border. We started off with six. We've got three at the end. And like the second to last day or maybe the last day, somehow I ended up on my own. And, uh, and it's really, really stable. It's in October now and we're going north. We're kind of going the wrong direction for the sun. And, and uh, anyway, and I'm just scratching on this thing, scratching and scratching and scratching and scratching. And, you know, I've, I've, I suddenly forget that I'm actually still a pretty new pilot. You know, and because uh, I've been hanging out with all these badasses, and we've just crossed the Sierras, and and uh, you know I'm feeling way too confident. So in other words, I'm like proper intermediate syndrome here, pilot. Like, look out! And but I don't recognize any of this. Anyway, so I'm scratching on this thing, and I'm doing it like you should. I'm doing like figure eights, and then I just make the mistake that you learn like day one as a P two. Like, don't turn in towards the hill. You know. And, uh, cause I get this little bubble out front and I try to turn, to it. And of course on the backside, I hit the, all the down air, all the sink on this thing. And I crash right into the side of the mountain, like right between these huge two boulders. So I'm in the full pendulum of this thing and I'm smoking fast and these two big boulders. And I'm just like, I just went, Oh shit. And, you know, luckily kind of bounced on my, I had this sup air harness, had a lot of padding, you know, thank God. And, uh, and I went right between the boulders and literally just rolled. I mean, it didn't do anything. It didn't do anything in my wing. It didn't do anything. I didn't even get a bruise. Nothing happened, right? By pure luck, there was no skill here whatsoever. And, uh, and I didn't tell – right now, if all those guys are listening, this is the first time they've heard of that. So I didn't tell anybody. I just packed up my shit and relaunched and kept going. And, wow. you know, and just didn't – it didn't even re- – didn't really hit me till now. Didn't even t- hit me till you were talking on your thing. It was just like in my mind, you know, I was better than that and I wasn't supposed to do that and it was embarrassing as hell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I went to all these badasses and that's unacceptable behavior. Like, what, what was I thinking? What was I doing? You know, thank God I know a lot of really good pilots who have gotten mangled or killed doing that exact same thing. And, um, you know, luckily that was my one of my many nine lives and uh and you know got to walk away but how many people don't you know and yeah. the point the, the point is is you gotta own this stuff
0: yeah. yeah how do you integrate that into your flying is you know yeah. and that's like a tool that's a tool right there and it's like if you let too These many mistakes, of those go
1: man you want some cheap mistakes don't you we all yeah. need cheap mistakes where we can just learn from and well,
0: you know, that was a great one for me. I just walked away. So lucky, you know. Wow. And so uh, Do you think you've integrated that one into your fine? And you just like you said that you've never told that you never told anyone is that no, something I you're did, st-
1: yeah I did for years. I mean i I'm, I'm I've always been way more aware of that since you know because it's it's one thing to be told by your instructor don't do that. And, and another thing, you know how many times I mean thousands have I done low circles near the terrain. But now I'm a good pilot. I know what I know what to feel for. I know what to look out for. And, you know, I can, I can't say I can guarantee anything, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to pound doing that move now. Um, Mm. you know, because but that one still puckers my butt. I'm pretty
0: good. I've got 1200 hours or something. That one still puckers my butt.
1: Yeah. I mean, Kevin, what's his name? God, dude, wicked. I mean, one of the best uh, He goes down to Columbia all the time. I mean, he, he almost didn't walk uh, from doing that same thing I and mean, he's a proper world cup pilot. Um, you know, so yeah, it happens to the best. I mean, I, I think it's best to uh, just stay away from now on altogether, but there are times again, like in the X alps or wherever that, you know, you have to, you have to weigh these things. And, um, but there are also other times where you just, you, you, I think you get good enough at really feel in the air where you know that you've got that yeah. margin. You got to have enough yeah. margin. How much, how much margin are you willing to fly with?
0: Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, you know, I made that uh, B to C, which was essentially like I, uh, the next day after the girl crashed at Pine, I watched a friend of mine who had just stepped from a low B to a hot C, get locked into a spiral and oh, nearly oh. take it to the ground. Wow. And it was like, it was really, really crazy. And so. Interesting. But I talked to him and I debriefed that with him. And he says every day that he flew the glider, he felt more solid on it than he had ever felt on any glider. Right. And I think that there is this thing. I guess I'm experiencing it. My first day flying cross country on a two-liner, I flew 245K. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first day on a two liner. I felt better on that thing than I've ever felt on anything. Just the amount of connection I have to the rears on Speed Bar, I just like, how can I ever go back to a three liner? It's like, um, and I think that something that as people come up in paragliding that they don't quite understand is that what you have to be prepared for as a pilot is you step on a step up. In glider class is not how it flies normally because as you step up in glider class the gliders feel better and better sure. and better and better and they're more better.
1: collapse resistant you know they're and way they are. less prone to taking frontals yeah, exactly
0: but man you take a big frontal full speed bar on an enzo and like it definitely takes a level of piloting that your full frontal rush does not take
1: yeah. I mean, one, one is completely passive and one is absolutely massively active. Yeah. And, uh, and if you don't get that pretty damn quick, you're, you're going to cascade and throw your reserve. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, um, I, 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 have, I have a lot to say about that. And none of these are my thoughts. Um, they're all, you know, from listening to people on the podcast, you know, like Cody talked about this that every time he's stepped up, he's always had an incident. So a, you know, have more margin every time you step up. So your, your buddy that had the wow. spiral lockout, it just has to be something you're, you know, you're not used to the wing yet. Yep. Um, it's going to surprise you at every level and you know, uh, you may not have the skills to, to deal with that. Um, and then the other with the, when it comes to like really stepping up, um, I don't know that it's so much, the wing or the rating of the wing, I think it's way more important to know who you are and, you know, how, how much of a pilot are you that you want to not have to make decisions and let the gear save your ass? Or are you the kind of person that really wants to make the decisions? And, uh, you know, I see this a lot. People think about wings. Um, and when it comes to this, because like you said, you know Theo DeBlick has been putting out these awesome videos of him doing like all this crazy stuff on an ENB, and he never he doesn't do anything but put his hands yeah. up, and it always recovers within seconds. I mean, yeah. it just it, 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 he'll it, it, like that's all you have to do. I have seen a lot of people on ENB and ENC gliders ride it all the way to the ground because they're doing this. Yeah, all they're they got to do is it. just put your hands up. Um, and so, like you said, when you step to a two liner, that is no longer relevant, even a little bit. And so, a uh, you know, if you have a frontal on a CCC glider, you really you really shouldn't ever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know that you're you're already missing a big piece. Yeah. You're already probably missing Ish. something there. Yeah. You know. And then, and then, you know, and then, and then B, it's, it takes a lot of training. I mean, a a lot of SIV training on, on a hot ship to really get that down. Um, I just did some, some towing with Cody on my Evox, uh, which is a CCC glider and down over the lake. And, you know, I'd been on my EGRA gravity for a couple of days, just doing all kinds of stuff and, you know, just, you know, getting everything to go symmetrically and doing the double and. In, in a nice tail slide, man, on and it is, it is powered up. And when it's you let something go just a little bit more than the other side, you're in a serious situation. So yeah. yeah, it takes a lot more. So like you said, um, you know, a Zeno is so nice to fly and it's so not prone to having any problems. And, um, there's a lot of false confidence there that gets generated from that because, um they still can go
0: yeah and so and it's crazy too because the other side of this spectrum is people who can literally fly like jared anderson he can be the national champion he stalled a glider say seven times yeah you know like
1: nate's never stalled his glider ever really he's been flying since late 80s i think or early 90s at least um Full Jedi in the air, uh, and I tried to tried to make him do some stalls on his Ice Peak six years ago when we went over to the Alps. And Annecy he wouldn't do it. <laughs> he wants to do it, and uh, you know, and if we had a prop, this is a hard thing for us in the states. Is we don't have that much water that we can train over, and it's tricky. And you know, I was doing a lot of towing over the desert and doing stuff over the dirt with Cody, and we've we we thought we were doing it pretty safely, and we've since come to like yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, certainly when you get up to the, like the proper acro guys level, you can go to Organia and, uh, wait, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, Organia and train over the dirt or where Dio does, uh, you know. But I think for most of us uh, – you're kind of playing with fire there a little bit. So it's yeah, hard, you
0: uh, are the
1: train and it's hard. I mean, unless you know, it's also towing over the water is expensive, you know, it adds So up. expensive, so man.
0: It's, it's carbon heavy to push a freaking V8 boat through the water at 35 miles too. an hour. It's carbon heavy to do that, it's man.
1: It's really carbon heavy.
0: Yeah. So, um, it's not like an electric gondola that goes to the top of the mountain <laughs> that you fly. You know, it's like Lake Garda. I went to Lake Garda a couple of years yeah. ago. It's like, it's just like public transit from the landing to the tram. And then it's just yep. like, it's like carbon light. It's very carbon light. Very and you have a thousand light. meters over a lake with who at the bottom of you're the... you get picked up. Yeah, b- by the most experienced scooper of paragliders <laughs> ever because he does it all day, every day. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, we don't really have that in America. And, you know, it's the same thing that you're talking about with like the Europeans looking at your flight in Nevada and thinking, what the fuck are you doing out there? You're right. You know, and it's like Gavin launches without that much water, so he's thinking about that in flight. That's just the classic Gavin McClurg. You're just the Western <laughs> cowboy, dude. The Western You're Matthew. just the-
1: oh, I I I forgot. I didn't finish my thought there. Yeah, you're totally right. But the the, uh, the 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 passive safety thing, um, everybody thinks about that with wings, and we also really have to think about it with harnesses these days. You know, there's this huge, and it's cool. It's super cool. You know, the, what what the X has done to the industry is allowed us these. Re- ridiculously light kits. Um and, and man, we're giving up a lot there though. No you really, kidding dude. We'll have to be really aware of that. No kidding. so if you're one of these pilots who, you know, needs more passive safety uh for you to feel good about what you're doing and that kind of thing, think about your harness too. Cause yep. it's
0: sitting uh, upright, open harness, sitting upright, pulled as far forward as you can with a big seatboard in it.
1: Yeah. And with a big huge pad. I mean, yes. how many times have I hit hard down there? And, you know, when Ben broke his back uh, a couple of years ago in Nevada, when we were doing that bivy, um, you know, had he had, I mean, he was full of bivy kit. So he didn't even have a pad Had he had a pad. He probably would have walked away. Yeah. And so um, you know, it's just, It's great. It allows us to hike and fly with these light little kits and stuff, but just be aware of what you're giving up. You're giving up a lot. I mean, it's also mental. I mean, I fly way better on my cannibal with two reserves and all this. I'm flying a freaking Cadillac, you know, and I'm just, man, I'm protected and I can go fast and I'm aerodynamic and it's awesome versus my Calibri. I love my Calibri. It's fantastic, but um, you know, flying that thing on uh, the Peak Five down in Nevada, you know, without a seatboard, and um, things are flopping around, and I've only got one little tiny reserve. And I was like, man, I, I don't feel that. I mean, it doesn't. You know, um, these are the things that I just, you should I'd, be thinking I about. I have to have a lot more margin then. You yeah. know, that's that's instead of, instead of five hundred, I'm a thousand on that glider. Yep. You know, it's a different game.
0: This is the game we play, Gavin. This is the game we play. And it's a game, it's a tool for maturation if we, re, if we use it as that. And if we, I think if we, if we really dedicate ourselves, if we commit ourselves to using paragliding as the incredible tool for transformation that it is, then we are so on the right path. We are so on the right path. And that doesn't mean that we can't do it for fun. That doesn't mean that we can't ever show off. It doesn't mean that we can't practice acrobatics. No, far from it. But as long as we're using it to look at ourselves and to learn about ourselves and to try to stay more clung on to the bright and shiny motivations instead of the dark and unseen ones, I think we're on the right path. And it seems like you've you've made a long career. You're still alive. The beard is getting grayer and you still <laughs> know, haven't died. You're gonna do another X Alps, which is just crazy. No one understands. You're like a mule. <laughs> you're such a I you stubborn. western I cowboy. Stubborn. It's funny because I called you a cowboy, but now as I think about it, I think you're actually the mule. <laughs> of the cowboy scene, you know, around <laughs> the campfire. I think Gavin's actually
1: that, that first uh, that first big movie I did that I was talking about earlier, in the, across the Sierras, you know, I was with Eric Reed, who everybody calls the Badger because he's a badger, and uh, and so after that trip, everybody started calling me the Wolverine because I was uh, basically
0: like a fierce yeah. badger, yeah, a little bit even fiercer. <laughs> Well, dude, thanks yeah, so much for covered. your time today. I really appreciate our talk. I really like, I super value having your input and being able to communicate with you directly and to like have you as a mentor. I'm so glad that years ago we met at Pine and so we had yeah. a little rapport. That's so cool. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And man, everything with the cloud-based mayhem, I know you've really like, when I think about the excitement that I have, that I think about my own potential to, um, to give my gift and to like maybe bring some of my perspective to the culture, like I'm excited, uh, and I think about what you've done, and so I'm I'm grateful that you you really plowed the way here in America for that.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Well, I, I appreciate I appreciate everything you're doing. You're putting out, um, you know, just conversations are great. I mean, they're they're powerful, and that's how we learn, and that's how we think, and. That's how we debate, and yep. you know, that's right. how we grow, and and that's it's great for the culture. And I think that it's, uh, you know, it's hard to get that from a magazine. Um, it is. It's hard to get that from a film, and so it's it's great. You know, we're not always right, and we're frequently wrong, and and but it's good to. Talk about it and yeah, let people debate it. And you know your your latest video. I'm sure you're getting all kinds of uh, you know positive and probably some negative feedback too. And that's great.
0: That's it's overwhelmingly positive, man. Honestly, I've I'm had sure. like two comments that are like, "Ah, oh, you're kind of a drama queen," and then the right. rest are like, "Holy shit, that so resonates with me. I did well, that exact are, same you, thing."
1: You, you were a drama queen. See, this is great <laughs> feedback. It's <laughs> fantastic. You know, you need to be. So, I mean, it's. Uh, I, 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 anyway I guess what I'm saying is you know we shouldn't hide from these topics and, exactly. uh, and I appreciate that you're you're making people bring it up so it's yeah, cool man. but thanks man I appreciate it and uh, why, I'm, sure I'm going to stop the recording
0: together. why yeah. don't you hang out for a second I want to talk some shop with you here real quick Cool. okay, okay you guys hope you like that thanks so much to Gavin for cutting out the time and uh, for his continued inspiration so if you guys like the show, consider donating to support it. I really need all the encouragement and support I can get right now. That's paypal.me slash Aerie in the air. Thanks so much. We'll see you on the next episode. You guys stay healthy, stay sane, stay safe. We'll see you soon.